Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. And... uh, on this beautiful Lord's Day, at least starting off. I know we got rain coming out, but we're thankful for the rain as well. Um, Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians. This will actually be the ninth sermon, believe it or not, in this series. And Lord willing, we're going to end chapter four today of this book, and we're getting towards the end of Galatians with just two chapters left to go. We're going verse by verse through this letter by the Apostle Paul uh, as I'm asked to fill in when needed in the preaching rotation. And as I always say, I'm just so thankful to be able to preach God's word when he gives me the opportunity to do so. Uh, I was so encouraged to hear Pastor Daniel make the comment last week that since he was at the pulpit, everyone knew we were going to be in Leviticus. When Pastor Jeff has been up here for the past few months, you knew that we were going to be in Hebrews. Uh, Now, we know he's going to take a a little break from Hebrews for a a four-sermon series on Christianity and culture, but he'll get us back to Hebrews, and we'll finally get the scoop on Melchizedek. You've put some teasers out about him, so we're looking forward to that. And when I come up here to preach, guess what? You know that we're going to be in Galatians. What a blessing it is to be in a season here at our church where we're going through three books of the Bible at once, proclaiming God's word and just unpacking them verse by verse. So please open your Bibles now to chapter 4 of Galatians and follow along with me from your Bible or from the screen And let's get right to it as I begin reading Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Now, now Paul lays out here now what he means by this being interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written. Now, Paul quotes here from Isaiah chapter 54. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one 
will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And there's the end of the quote from Isaiah. Paul continues, verse 28, Now you, brothers, Paul is talking now to the true Christians in Galatia, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, at the time of Isaac, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Now, Paul does a quote here from Genesis 21. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, so Christians, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is God's word. Let me pray now before we go any further. Father, you are great and glorious. Help us to approach you this morning with reverence and awe. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. Lord, no no human mind could have thought up or invented the gospel. This is all from you. You acted in your eternal grace for us. You are both the messenger and the message of the gospel. Father, your gospel is good news for us. And as Paul says, your gospel is a gospel of sheer grace. Father, help us to know you better and be known by you. Thank you for the truths that we find in this book of Galatians. Meet us here in this place now. Give me the words to say, to proclaim your word rightly. Use this time for your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, once again, Tim Keller's book, Galatians for You, has really helped me in my understanding of this book of the New Testament, especially today with the Old Testament references found here. I'm excited to share some of his insights as well as some of my own as we look at these verses together. These verses do contain a lot, and these several references to the Old Testament tie up the themes Paul has been highlighting since the middle of all the way back in chapter 2 of this book. His main point here in this section of scripture today is not only that the gospel makes us children of God, children of the promises of God, but he is also implying that overly proud and overly moral and overly religious are often the ones that are left out of God's family. And as Tim Keller puts it, the gospel reverses the world's values. So let's begin now. Let's look at verse 21. Let me read this again. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul is now directly addressing those who desire to be under the law. He is, so to speak, looking straight in the eyes of those Galatian Christians who have become convinced 
that they need to add their performance to Christ if they are to be acceptable to God, if they are to be truly saved. When it says to be under the law here in verse 21, Paul means relying on the law for our standing with God. He means having to do something for our standing with God. It can mean for us today thinking we have to do some type of religious ritual, perform some religious act, follow some church tradition, rule, or to these Galatian Christians, continuing in the Mosaic law. You know, there are many that find being under the law is desirable. First, you always have the outward certainty of a list of rules to keep. There seems to be comfort in that. I'm a list person. I think I've mentioned that before. I can see why that would be comforting. You just check off the list. Second, you can compliment yourself because you keep the rules better than others do. And then finally, you can take credit for your own salvation because you earned it by keeping the list of rules. But the Bible says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so this message from Paul will particularly challenge overly religious, legalistic people. As John Stott wrote, here's a quote, There are many such today that are not Judaizers to whom Paul was writing, but people whose religion is legalistic, who imagine that the way to God is by observance of certain rules, end quote. The question at the end of verse 21, do you not listen to the law, is a rhetorical question. So Paul didn't expect anyone to answer that, but it's designed to show the people who do rely on the law that their position just doesn't make sense. They want to be under the law, But if they were aware of what the law actually says and requires of them, if they listened to it, then they wouldn't want to be under it anymore because we can't fully obey the law. No one can. We need a savior. Paul is saying the very law that you say you follow is contradicting you. When we realize that we are incapable of following the law 100%, what does the law do? Well, the law points us to Christ for salvation. It becomes our road guide to Christ. Let's look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. All right, so Paul is going back to the story of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah here, which was likely a story used by the false teachers, these Judaizers, who told the Galatians, you are not really children of Abraham, the children of the promise, unless you obey all the law of Moses. 
But Paul is turning the tables on them by reminding them that, yes, you are related to Abraham, but Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. Therefore, there are two ways of being related to Abraham, one right way and there's one wrong way. It's a really great argument. Paul was a good debater. The basic point of the Judaizers was this. Yes, it's good that you believe in Christ, that you have faith in Christ, but you will have to obey the whole law before you can be considered the children of Abraham, the heirs of all the promises of God. Paul's basic point was this. The moment you believed in Christ, you were the children of Abraham. Right then and there, there were no works needed. You are the heirs of all the promises of God. And the the moment you start thinking you have to obey the whole law or do anything else to be saved, you are not the children of Abraham at all. Now, I'd like to do a a quick recap here of the Old Testament story of Abraham that's being alluded to here. I think most of you know this story, but Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, by two different women, and they were born in very different circumstances, which is crucial to understanding the point Paul is making here in Galatians. God had promised that he would provide Abraham with an heir to live in the land that God would show him. This story is found back in Genesis chapters 12 through 15. And from this heir would come a great nation, and all the nations of the world would be blessed through one of Abraham's descendants. This is basically the genealogy of Jesus. But Abraham was old and his wife Sarah was barren. He had lived in this land for a decade after God made this promise to him without any children. So Sarah suggested that Abraham sleep with her maidservant Hagar so they could build a family through her. Well, Abraham agreed Hagar conceived, and Ishmael was born. Fourteen years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, he had another child, this time by Sarah, his barren wife. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Abraham gave the name Isaac to this son that Sarah bore him. And Genesis makes it very clear that Isaac is the son of Sarah, the barren, childless woman, and that Isaac would be the child of promise, the true heir, not Ishmael. Now, if you look at our our next verse here, verse 23, Paul sums up the difference between these two births by saying this. Verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Abraham knew and believed. He had faith 
that he would have a child who would be his heir and the bearer of the line which would bring salvation into the world. He believed that. But he thought to himself, how could this son be born? How could this happen? Sarah was was a barren woman and very old. They were both very old. And it would take an extraordinary, supernatural act of God for a son to come that way. On the other hand, the maidservant Hagar was young and fertile. By the customs of the time, it would be perfectly legal to have a son through her, though it would not be according to God's will. Abraham decided not to wait on God's supernatural actions to get his son through his wife. Instead, he decided to get his son through human attainment. So Hagar was born according to the flesh, according to unbelief. So Ishmael was the son of unbelief. Jews believed that they were children of Abraham, descended from him through Isaac, and heirs of God's promises. Their ancestors had received God's law at Mount Sinai. Their nation was centered on Jerusalem and its temple. The false teachers now were telling these Gentile Galatian Christians that to be true children of Abraham, the ones that inherited these promises, they needed to be Jewish for that to happen, for them to be truly saved. On to verses 24 and 25. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, I'm not sure if I conveyed the the meaning of these verses well enough as I read them, but these are pretty inflammatory statements for the Jews to hear from Paul. Look who Paul aligns, aligns Hagar with to the present Jerusalem and to the present Jews of, Paul, of Paul's time. He was trying to turn their religious world upside down. These women represent two covenants. He says one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears bears children who are to be slaves, this is Hagar. Paul says clearly that Hagar and her son, Ishmael, represent the law covenant of Mount Sinai and the earthly city of Jerusalem. And in the earthly city of Jerusalem, most of them, they did not accept Christ at all. And these people are in slavery because they are under the law. Paul is linking several things together here. The Sinai covenant law to the present Jerusalem of Paul's time and to all who make the law their means of justification with God. I think this has been Paul's point that he was getting to all along, but now he 
he kind of dramatically makes that point again through the link to Hagar and Sarah, a story the Jews knew very well. And Paul wanted those listening to the false teachers to kind of feel the full force of his insight that Hagar, not Sarah, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, corresponds to them. By sleeping with Hagar, Tim Keller says that Abraham was choosing to rely on his own capabilities. He was opting to work to gain a son. He had faith in himself as his own savior, end quote. Well, what was the result of this? Well, Sarah became terribly jealous of Hagar and Abraham's family was torn apart with division and sadness. It was a total disaster and this isn't surprising since the Bible uniformly condemns polygamy and condemns having concubines and although God looked after Hagar and Ishmael, he never directed his promises through this son of Abraham. Abraham's attempt for self-salvation failed. As history went on, strife and warfare between the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael continued. Ishmael's traditionally the father of the Arab peoples. So Paul refers specifically here in verse 25 to the Mount Sinai in Arabia as the people who rely on the law and who are outside of God's family. And Abraham didn't rely on God's grace either, but rather on his own ability when it came to Hagar. When we fail to rest in God, and instead, when we seek to be our own savior, the result is a disaster and we fall apart spiritually psychologically and relationally, but God continued to hold Abraham and he used him in a big way through redemptive history. Those of these Judaizers, these false teachers, proudly considered themselves related to Abraham by Sarah and Isaac. Paul says, no, you're wrong. He's just kind of like saying, not so fast, my friends. You are spiritually descended from the slave woman, the Gentile, the outcast, Hagar. Your heart and approach to God is like Abraham with Hagar, and the fruit in your lives is like Ishmael, just more slavery to the law. Your soul and your heart rely on your own ability rather than the supernatural grace of God. It's amazing to see sometimes how the most religious people can be sometimes the furthest from spiritual freedom. Well, let's look now at verses 26 and 27. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
when Paul is referring to the Jerusalem above, he's showing a contrast to the earthly, the grace-rejecting Jerusalem below, the Jerusalem here on earth, the current Jews, especially these Judaizers. The Jerusalem above is our mother city, he says. It stands for those who have learned to cease trying to attain salvation themselves and allow God to save them through his grace alone. It it stands for true Christians. It stands for heaven. If you're a Christian, heaven is our mother city. It is our home. It is where we belong. There's an old gospel song titled, Home, Where I Belong. Now, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it to you this morning. But the final lyrics of this song say, say this. Going home where I belong. And while I'm here, I'll serve him gladly and sing him all these songs. I'm here, but not for long. One day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door. I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore. I'll be home. I'll finally be home where I belong. Now there's some great truths in that song. And you can probably tell by me even mentioning that song that I like to watch the Bill Gaither Hour a lot. And I'm especially thankful to Tim Keller for his insights into why Paul quotes from Isaiah 54 here in these verses. Paul uses this Old Testament story as an analogy of what he has been teaching in this letter to the Galatians. And that he's emphasizing the contrast between the law and grace. And I've just missed the full significance of this analogy the many times I've read these verses in Isaiah. But but according to Keller, Paul now shows that the gospel of grace to the barren one mentioned in Isaiah is not only referencing Sarah back in Genesis, but he's pointing out that the gospel of grace actually runs throughout the Old Testament. Originally, this prophetic word from Isaiah quoted here was for the Jewish exiles in Babylon around 1,200 years after Abraham's time. And it was 600 years before Paul's time. The remaining Israelites in Babylon thought their national life was over after they were exiled, that they would never return home or have their own country again. They seemed like failures, weak and helpless. Their exile was a punishment, while other nations around them seemed strong and powerful. But God says to them through these verses here from Isaiah, now that you are helpless, now that you are desolate, you will see that it is the weak in whose lives my grace works. The strong uh, can sometimes be too busy relying on themselves. I will make you numerous and great. So this prophecy of Isaiah looks back to Genesis 
16, in which God looks down on two women, one beautiful and fertile, Hagar, the other barren and old, Sarah, and he chooses to save the world through the barren one. And taking this story further, through Sarah's family would come another unlikely son, born to another woman, who could have no expectation of being pregnant, not because she was old and barren, because she was a virgin, and her name was Mary. And through that son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, all the people of the world would be blessed just as God promised Abraham and Sarah. That's God's grace at work throughout all of Scripture. We see the grace of Jesus alluded to not only with Mary, but all the way back in Genesis 16, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, we see it in Isaiah 54, and we can find it throughout all the Bible. Now here in Galatians, Paul takes up that same story that we find in Genesis and that Isaiah used, and he gives it an even more full and wonderful application. The Galatians were being taught by the Judaizers that they are too sinful, they're too flawed simply to consider themselves loved children of God by just faith in Jesus Christ. They needed to add something to grace to take care of all their sin. It's as if they were saying Jesus wasn't enough. If salvation is by works and not by faith alone, only the fertile can have children. Only the, the morally able and the strong, only the people with good records can be spiritually fruitful, enjoy the love of God and transform the lives of others. But as a fellow WCC member just recently reminded me, salvation by works is a different gospel. If the gospel of grace is true, it doesn't matter who you are or who you were. It just doesn't matter. Through faith in Christ, you will bear fruit the kind that lasts forever. The gospel says, and this is a quote from Keller, grace is not just for fertile Hagar's, but for barren Sarah's. If Sarah can have a future, anyone can, end quote. Is God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit about his grace today? Do you feel that maybe you don't measure up to be loved by God It doesn't matter who you are or what you did. God's grace is all that you need through faith in Jesus. This could be the day of salvation for you. I pray that it is. But Paul goes even deeper than saying the gospel is for the fertile and the barren. Paul is saying that the gospel of grace is especially for the barren. The able and the fertile tend to think they can attain without God. And so they reject the gospel of grace. Paul is saying that the gospel shows us that it is the so-called strong, 
moral, good, religious, and self-righteous who in the end are the true slaves. All right, let's look now at our final four verses together. This is starting in verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Verse 28 states that just as Isaac inherited the the promises made to Abraham, so also are true believers. Uh, true believers, Christians. Christians are the recipients of God's redemptive promises because we are the spiritual heirs of Abraham. Verse 29 makes much more sense when you realize that it is probably referring to a scene described back in Genesis 21 where Ishmael mocked Isaac. He persecuted him. He laughed at him. Ishmael persecuted Isaac at a feast that was celebrating Isaac's weaning. Ishmael, the son who was born according to the flesh, persecuted Isaac, the son born according to the spirit. And Paul says clearly that's also the way it was in first century Galatia at his time. And we can find, we could probably say it's the same way now in 2022. We should not be surprised that modern day people who follow God in the flesh will persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. Paul is flatly stating that the children of the slave, those seeking salvation through works, will always persecute the children of the free woman, those enjoying salvation by grace alone. And as Keller states, Ishmael's will persecute Isaac's. And we can speculate why that is. Keller points out that it's because the gospel is more threatening to religious people than non-religious people. Religious people are very touchy and nervous about their standing with God. Their insecurity makes them hostile to the gospel, which insists that their best deeds are useless before God, end quote. So Ishmael laughed at Isaac. The Lord Jesus was bitterly opposed by the religious leaders of his time. And he was condemned and persecuted by his own nation, the Jews. In verse 30, Paul says that those that seek salvation by works the slave woman and her son, will not inherit God's promises and that we should cast them out. So he seems to be telling the Galatians to cast out the Judaizers from among them because Judaism is incompatible with Christianity. And in the final verse, in verse 31, Paul points out that true Christians are not children of the slave woman 
but children of the free woman. Now that Christ had come, those who followed the law for salvation no longer had any part in the inheritance from Abraham. That inheritance is only for those who trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins and a place in God's family. That's why we here at WCC, we stand with the reformers and saying what the Bible teaches, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our theology does matter. What we believe now matters, as R.C. Sproul would always say, right now counts forever. In Galatia, the persecution was not physical, but it was no less dangerous. These Judaizer teachers from within the church, mind you, were undermining gospel freedom, and it's the same today. And I will close this message with a quote from John Stott, who is a relatively contemporary English theologian as he describes what I'm talking about. This is from John Stott. The persecution of the true church, the believing church, is not always by the world who are strangers, but by our half-brothers, the unbelieving religious people in the nominal church. Today, the greatest enemies of the believing church are are found among the members of the unbelieving church. The greatest opposition emanating from pulpits and church hierarchies. Isaac is always mocked and persecuted by Ishmael, end quote. So WCC, as we guard against a false gospel, and even though there may come a time when we may face some type of persecution for our faith in the true gospel of grace, let's be encouraged and reminded by these verses today that through our faith alone in Jesus Christ, by his grace, we are the true spiritual heirs of Abraham. And one day, we will receive the promises of God and be home in heaven with the Lord where we belong. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us to grow to love you more. Help us as a church and as individuals to point people to Jesus. Help us to be a church here at WCC that stays true to your word. We are saved only by your grace. May this be the day of salvation for someone here. Meet us in a special way now as we come to your table. You are mighty and glorious and we praise you in Jesus' name.